Today, we've got Chris McCabe, who used to work for Amazon on their seller performance team. And to date now, he's helped hundreds of suspended sellers get reinstated. So this guy knows the best as far as what you should and should not do in the platform, and we get to pick his brain about it. How's it going, everybody? Bradley Sutton, and this is the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. And we have a very critical, critical, critical timing here. Guest, Christmas McCabe here, who has to deal with a lot of people who get their accounts suspended and people who want to get reinstated. A lot of legal things that happen with Amazon. So Chris, this is very timely that we have you on here because a lot of people are freaking out about reviews and, and hey, my ASIN was suspended. My account was suspended. The sky is falling. You are one of the top people in the industry who has knowledge about this. So welcome to the show. How's it going? No, thanks so much. It's great to be here. Awesome. Now tell me, you have a unique perspective because of your background. You know, there's a lot of people out there who, who do help Amazon sellers, you know, with suspensions or, or with the terms of service, but what's your kind of like leg up that you have? Right. I used to work on uh, the performance and policy teams, performance evaluation and policy enforcement teams, and on the various kinds of investigations that typically touch sellers who get suspended. So um, several years working uh, for Amazon doing this kind of work and then doing the same kind of work after I left as a consultant. So it's been about 10 or 11 years now total. Um, and I guess the unique uh, take that I have is that there's nobody that worked on those teams that's now currently consulting Amazon sellers. So um, that's my background. And of course, we've been consulting for four and a half years. So we stay up on anything that's happened uh, since I left. Okay. So now tell me, be truthful now. <laughs> Are you one of those annoying people who just copies and pastes replies when we're trying to trying to get our account unsuspended? Were you one of those on the, one of those teams who just like we keep mentioning what our plan of action is and all you do is copy and paste the same thing? Was that you? Yeah, it's it's gone downhill since I was there. It wasn't quite like that in those days. There have always been pre-written blurbs, pre-written messaging. Um, but investigators do have the ability to modify some of that language. Um, I don't think Amazon or seller performance will ever get to the point where they're sending custom content every time. It's just not scalable, not the way they're going to do it. But um, yeah, I guess I was one of the annoying people in terms of sending for specific things, suspension language that would be you know, more generic. Um, the good news was I was on the team that wrote uh, or edited the blurbs when it came time to change the wording and change the language. And I think what's happened in recent years is there's been a lot of language that slips through that doesn't get edited by somebody who's actually, you know, done professional writing before or published writing before. They're just sort of slapping it together and maybe it's not edited appropriately. So um, some of the language that you see nowadays doesn't even make grammatical sense or there's typos or investigators don't fill in brackets. That's kind of the most embarrassing thing you see. Um, where they don't even fill in what the ASINs are supposed to be or what the brand is supposed to be. So you just see, you know, insert content here between brackets. Um, it's unfortunate that that happens because it's a lot uh, less professional that way. So, yeah. Okay. And here's a question. This is from, you know, I've actually, you know, when I was a, a consultant, I, I've always done like wholesale a little bit on mm -hmm. the side and had Amazon account and I got suspended once. And now here, here's, and, and I've had many clients who have done dumb things and, and gotten right. suspended. Now, here's one thing, you know, I haven't dealt with this in, in about a year or, or, or so, but back in the day, and this is what really irritated me, it seemed like the only way to get unsuspended was to pretty much lie 
and like admit to doing something that you didn't do. And they would say, okay, thank you for admitting this. And we will go ahead and reinstate you. But like, like, for example, like, let's say you got a fraudulent safety claim, but it was completely fraudulent, but you, the only way you could get reinstated was if you say, yes, this was a safety issue. And it's because of my manufacturing problem and basically a whole bunch of nonsense. And then that's what, you know, trying to say what they wanted to hear. Is that still the case nowadays? I don't recommend making things up. And most of the time when I'm working with clients and either discussing it with them on the phone or looking at, you know, written documentation that they send us or going through Seller Central, we find what Amazon's driving at and what they're looking at. Uh, Most of the time there are buyer complaints about quality or condition that may be classified as inauthentic, but it's not the same thing as accusing you of selling counterfeit. Inauthentic can mean the quality wasn't quite right or it wasn't what they expected or it broke easily or just a condition complaint. You know, a lot of times you see you sold as new as one of the complaint categories, but that really just means it's a condition issue. Um, So some of this is just their language being misinterpreted. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to make something up because they found something that came from a buyer complaint. The buyer didn't know what they were talking about and they felt the need to follow up on it as if every buyer complaint is 100% accurate. I mean, they know not every buyer complaint is 100% correct or true or accurate. Um, Usually they're warning you and taking an ASIN away or even suspending your account because they find a pattern or a consistent or a systemic problem centered around that particular ASIN or that group of ASINs. So it's not just one incident, one You brought up a safety complaint, which I have to admit, yes, there are certain times where one or two safety complaints out of thousands can be actioned um, unfairly and inappropriately as if your entire batch of product might be unsafe. Um, Some of that is just, again, the scalability problem that they face. How are we going to enforce safety uh, without necessarily calling up and discussing with each buyer that makes a safety complaint exactly why they thought it was unsafe? And then doing bin checks on all the inventory, the the Amazon seller sent it to FBA to make sure that the products are entirely as described and test them ourselves to make sure they're, you know, so on and so forth. They can't do that. There are not enough hours in the day or weeks in the year to do that. So to a certain extent, they have to trigger investigations based on the nature of the buyer complaints. And unfortunately, their SOPs right now, they're very risk averse. They want to make sure that if people allege potential safety issues, that they jump on it and they uh, enforce it aggressively. And unfortunately it does mean that often they're assuming that it's hundred percent valid and true. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that's, that is super, super yeah. shady because basically on many cases, like, especially like when we were talking about the supplements, you know, I've worked for companies where I worked for a huge company. Once I was their sales mm-hmm. manager and it was one of the top or the number, it's basically the number one diet pill skew in the U S and, and they are, they're on infomercials all over the place. And, and so they're, they're under regulation by FTC because of that. So like they had a safety complaint, which is completely bogus. Right. Like, uh, you know, somebody said, oh, you know, I, I got diarrhea or, 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 or so something like that, that literally and scientifically is impossible no matter what, you know, based on the ingredients, right. you know, that is in the product. And now, you know, that's exact thing happened to maybe five other people I know. And they all just said, oh yeah, you know, they may, they, they literally, you know, they tried to do it the, the legal way where it said, oh, you know, we don't see any problem, you know this customer is wrong. Scientifically, this is impossible, but they're like, nope, you're still suspended. So the only way they got unsuspended was they said, oh yeah, we, we noticed a lot here, uh, you know, might've not gone through our quality check and we're going to fix that. And then they got unsuspended. But this other company I work for, 
they couldn't lie. You know, they can't lie. You know, they're not going to go say something or when you start saying stuff and admitting that maybe there was an issue, you're like becoming liable. So like, how, how does that even, how does that work? You know? Exactly. No, I don't recommend, I don't recommend that anyone make things up just because they believe that Amazon wants you to make something up. If you want to look at it as an exercise in explaining what your due diligence is and how it could be improved, or let's just say your quality control, how it functions now and how you could improve it and upgrade it. I mean, any of us in any kind of business could be making improvements and upgrading um, processes. We could be auditing what we do more. I know I could be. Um, We could be auditing ourselves. We could be double checking things more often. Um, We could be training a bit differently or perhaps revamping our training to include some improvement or, or some additional steps and layers of due diligence. And that's, if, if you have to think of it mentally as a due, due diligence exercise and explaining how you're going to execute new improvements, then, then so be it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you are, you know, making up a problem. Well, root causes are required for my POA. So I'm just going to say that, you know, we weren't checking boxes enough and, uh, the, the, the items weren't properly secured inside the packaging, so we're going to improve the packaging, but I'm not going to do any of those things. I mean, you can't make promises that you will not keep in a POA, a plan of action, just to get a nascent reinstated or just to get your account back. I know it's tempting to think that way, and sometimes I definitely agree. Amazon nudges you in the direction of telling them what they want to hear, but if you tell them something in a plan of action, they will hold you to it. You're not just throwing words down on a page to get get it over with and get back to normal. If they believe it and, you know, they expect you to do it, then you have to do it. Okay. Now you, you probably have, you know, for your company, I would imagine you deal with hundreds of cases a year as far as suspensions and ASIN suspensions and, and other things, yeah. thousands. All right. So what would you say, you know, you don't have to give me exact numbers, <laughs> but what would you say are the number one, two, and three reasons of why somebody got suspended? Yeah. So, I mean, the performance metric misses are more straightforward. I mean, there are people, of course, who get suspended for high ODR or for late shipment rate. We get a lot of those and canceled orders. Um, but I'll set those aside because those are more straightforward suspensions. Those are usually usually tools that misfire and nobody was managing them or keeping an eye on them. Um, the The majority of the suspensions we work are, again, from item quality item authenticity or item condition complaints. Sometimes they come from the brands that you're selling if you're a reseller. Other times you're a private label and you're selling your own products and, and buyers are complaining about differences between the quality they expected after looking at the product detail page and what they received once they have the item. Um, listing violations, there's a lot of policy abuse. List people uh, incorrectly creating detail pages. Sometimes as... Uh, resellers get in trouble for piggybacking on improperly created listings. That's been a big uh, suspension cause lately. Um, and then, of course, policies around product review abuse. That's been a hot topic for a while, and we're still seeing a lot of people suspended for that. So um, policy abuse, item condition, and item quality, those are two big ones. And then lastly would be uh, notice claims and infringement claims. So uh, people who are either... Uh, reported for violating a patent or a design. They might be a private label seller and somebody comes in and says, well, this is our design that you're using. Um, Trademark violations. And then of course, uh, intellectual property complaints or or copyright infringements. Those are pretty, uh, pretty common as well because generally speaking, Amazon does not want to be caught in the middle between two other parties, whether it's a reseller and a brand or two private label sellers 
whoever it might be, Amazon's just the marketplace and just the platform. Um, they will take a listing down and send a warning, but they don't want to officiate all the different legal disputes that might crop up between two parties. So generally they'd rather suspend for an infringement claim than get involved beyond that. So those okay. would be the top three. All right. Now let's say, you know, there's the stuff that there's things that are unavoidable, you know, like somebody gets sick, you know, on a supplement and, or not really on a supplement, but they get sick and they blame it on the supplement and they, right. they, they, they give a, you know, there's no way for a seller to, to avoid that. Or there's a black hat person who's going to attack them with fake reviews. You know, there's nothing what you can do to control that. But what would you say in your experience are the top, like two things that are avoidable that you see people getting suspended that maybe our listeners can make sure that they don't do? What are the two easiest things that you say that you're like, oh my God, I can't believe that this person was this dumb to do this. They're totally asking. They're totally asking for it. I don't know if I'm saying dumb. Yeah. (laughs) There are some people who I think are are not reading the tea leaves or they're not paying attention to what's going on in terms of enforcement trends. And I don't know if they're asking for trouble, but um, they need to pay more attention. And it's not necessarily just about stupidity. It's about risk. I'm not sure if those sellers understand how much risk they're taking with their entire Amazon business for example, just because they want to continue selling a brand that they've always sold, just to stay with the infringement example for a moment. Because at this point in the game, um, if if you're a reseller and you're selling a brand who you already have a couple of infringements on a couple of ASINs, I mean, it's clear that Amazon is going to keep taking your listings down. It's clear that they're going to keep sending you back to that brand. Maybe it's time to sit down and think about whether or not you can sell that brand anymore without trying to debate or argue or you know, outside of a courtroom, try to figure out how you can defend yourself against these infringements and your legal right to sell these items in e-commerce sites or on Amazon, because that's not what it's about. It's about, are you willing to risk the entire Amazon account just to sell those brands? And I think sellers are starting to turn the corner on that. I'm still surprised at how many infringement cases we get every week, uh, because I think a lot of the time sellers are maybe in denial or just not paying attention to the fact that this brand is reporting your storefront, maybe not every store that's selling these products, but they're clearly trying to get you from away from selling their products. And if it comes down to you or the brand, Amazon's probably going to side with the brand, especially in a legal uh, fight. And you're probably not going to sell uh, sue that brand just to keep selling those items on Amazon. So you have to kind of learn when to cut bait and to focus on other brands or reach out to brands and make sure that they understand who you are the, the storefront name, your company name, where you're getting the product. Maybe they won't submit an infringement against you if they know more about you. Maybe your supplier can tell, you know, I mean, there's things you can do to try to troubleshoot this and try to prevent additional infringements in the future. That's just part of the reseller universe that Amazon's created in the marketplace now. So hiding from it, running from it, kind of sitting there hoping that brands don't report you. I think that's something that's easily avoidable at this point, as long as you understand the risk of selling brands that we're, that we're trying to push you off the platform. Um, the second thing I guess would be going back to the product review abuse. I still see sellers. Uh, I even created a new service around just the messaging. Show me the messaging. Let me sign off on it as compliant. I mean, I can do that probably in 20 or 30 minutes for you. Um, and, uh, and I can look at whether or not it's going to attract negative attention for product review abuse teams, because I can guarantee you from many conversations I've had over the last six months, 
Um, product review teams don't have a lot of time and bandwidth and energy to chase offsite activity and this or that Facebook group that are constantly popping up and going away. They can't seem to get a handle around the black hat services that are out there and proliferating and offering sophisticated fake review services. What do they go after? They go after the low hanging fruit, which is you've got content in your messaging, which isn't compliant. It's easy for them to spot it. It's easy for them to assess it quickly and decide it's, it's non-compliant and to suspend you. So messaging, and the same goes for product inserts, by the way. I'm, I'm getting a lot of people reporting to me. Uh, they take pictures of product inserts that they see in their uh, competitor packaging. Um, they, you know, I take a quick look at it. I realize it's breaking the rules. And I know that anybody who reports that is going to get that seller suspended. So it's just, that's an easy step to take. Make sure that you've got somebody who knows what's going on with these teams to look at the messaging that you're sending out and think carefully before you put a product insert in that's probably going to get you suspended. All right. You talked about reporting. So, you know, we're not like suggesting people become tattletales or, or something like that. But at the same time, if you, you know, if there's a competitor who's hurting your business and they're doing it with black hat ways, you know, that hurts Amazon, that hurts your business. You should definitely report that. Yeah. Yeah. So how does somebody do that? How does somebody report? And and does it actually work? Um, It depends on what, yeah. I mean, it obviously depends on how extensive um, you don't want to send them volumes and pages and pages of things. They're not going to read that. So you want to be brief. You want to be concise. Uh, It depends on what the nature of the allegations are or the violations are. Um, Sometimes you're reporting it straight to product review abuse teams. Um, I mean, there's PRA, product review abuse, and they, of course, handle reviews issues. And then there's MPA, marketplace abuse. Um, Obviously, these teams coordinate with each other to an extent, and they're under the same umbrella. How do you contact those two? Are, are, is that is there like a button or is that in your seller central or how do you like find those two? Uh, most people, yeah, I mean, don't spend a lot of time with seller support and hoping that something will come out of that. That's a good place to start and do a, open a quick case just so you can cite the case in future emails. But you can report violations, policy and listing violations in seller central. You can get a case open with seller support, but that's kind of a quick initial step. Um, there are lots of, there are various email cues you can use. Um, and you know, I can, I don't know if you want to provide them at the end of the podcast. I mean, there's different cues that people can use. A lot of people have complained that nobody answers those or they just get a pad answer saying, we'll look into this. We can't tell you what we're going to do. Um, what I do with my clients and what I recommend usually now, since most people are complaining that they're not seeing any action from legitimate reports is a show me what you're sending them. So I can tell you if it's too long, too hard to follow. I mean, they're not going to action things that are really long or really difficult, excuse me, really difficult to understand. So sometimes I'm working with them to help them just craft the language and represent it in a way that at least there's the potential for policy abuse teams to act. Um, So it's what you're sending and it's where you're sending it. And if they're not going to respond when you send it to the, there's an email address, suspect-abuse at Amazon, that's just one, for example, um, then you need to escalate it elsewhere. And of course, escalations is a whole other topic, but we can, you know, we can talk about the various places you report things either, uh, you know, directly to team management or of course the Jeff email is the executive seller relations one. Um, But if they're not going to act and if you're losing sales and if you're being relentlessly attacked and no one's doing anything about it, then I always advocate that people start reporting it as soon as possible and keep reporting it until they see some, uh, some action. Okay. Now, if somebody has hijacked your listing with a, with a counterfeit product, you know, they jumped on your listing, you know, 
that, you know, uh, there's no way that it's your product because you don't wholesale your product out. What I've told people in the past, no, I'm no legal expert, but Mm -hmm. in my opinion, it always, I do two things. I say, Hey, buy a test one yourself because actually Amazon, a lot of times would ask me like, Hey, do you have a test purchase and do you have a product? But then should they also have a, a customer buy it as well and have a report come from a buyer or just with the seller doing it. You're buying it. You're doing the test buy. Okay. So only that one's needed. You don't need to have, have like another person buy it as well to, so that it comes no. from a buyer account. Too. Okay. I haven't, I haven't heard that. I mean, maybe people have found ways of doing it just as confirmation of their complaints, but I haven't heard of a need for that or I didn't know people were really doing that. Um, but you need to show them a test buy. If you're alleging counterfeit, you can't just assume counterfeit and grab some attorney and have them draft a letter. I mean, God knows there's attorneys out there that'll write whatever you say, as long as you you pay them. But, um, you don't want to set a precedent where you're making false allegations of counterfeit. Um, there have already been, um, some of this has been publicly um, discussed. There've already been resellers who have uh, sued brands for falsely accusing them of selling counterfeit simply because they felt like it <laughs> for whatever their reasons were. So I definitely don't recommend taking that path that can come back on you legally. Um, but make it, if it's your brand, you don't know where they're getting it. You don't know if it's a non-branded generic version, cheaper manufactured version of your product. The only way to know that for sure is to do, currently at least is to do a test buy. Um, I've got a couple of clients that are already being invited into the project zero pilot, which is kind of, you know, not very sophisticated crude tools right now, but obviously that'll develop into, you know, more of a full fledged program where you can, if you're not sure who the reseller is or where they're getting your product, you'll have some access to the tools to manage those listings and delete those listings. If you don't know who those people are, I'm imagining you'll have a chance or they'll have a chance to defend themselves and you'll have a chance to reach out to them and say, where are you getting our stuff? We don't wholesale it. Um, but Right now, Project Zero is kind of just getting off the ground. You still have to submit infringement claims based on test buys if you're alleging counterfeit. Um, And don't forget brand registry. You can open up tickets with brand registry and and defend your brand that way because you don't want those um, listings to remain up if you're pretty sure those are are fake products. Okay. Now, speaking of Black Hat or or being hijacked and stuff, what are some of the things that, I mean, we actually had somebody talking about the things that's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howard was on an episode a couple episodes ago talking about the, the kind of things that, that is happening to sellers. Mm-hmm. But in your experience, like what are some of the things are, how are legitimate sellers being attacked by, by a lot of these sellers? Like, you know, the, the things that he talked about was like sending fake reviews, right. you know, with, with trigger words, you know, using vendor central to, to change their images and title and things. Uh, yeah. what, what are, are those kind of the two prevalent ones or, or what are other ones that people need to be aware is going on? Right. I mean, vendor central, there's been mountains of abuse. Everybody's aware of it. Vendor, vendor central managers I talked to in Seattle are aware of it. Um, and uh, they've had to make, they're going to have to make some big changes to, to vendor this year. They're, they're making big changes to vendor anyway, but uh, between vendor central abuse and it, it's not so much about hijacked listings anymore. It was about people getting a uh, catalog or um, captive team people to make changes to listings that they never should have done in the first place. Um, how they're persuading them to do that is another story, but yeah, what, what a lot of people are doing is they're hiring black hat services that have armies of buyer accounts to either buy from you that, those accounts show no connection to you so they can leave you 
mountains of nicer views and it won't look like in the tools those buyer accounts are connected to you. Or if you're trying to take down your competitor, you use those services to get uh, the buyer accounts, which you, you would assume have no connection to each other, not just disconnected from you, but they're disconnected from each other. They won't show any relationship in the tools and they'll leave negative reviews for your competitor. So those are the two biggest problems. I mean, listing manipulation and fake reviews. Obviously, when it comes to Black Hat, there's tons of behaviors going on. There's services proliferating every every day, every week that we hear about. Um, I think Amazon's just behind on enforcement and trying to catch up, but it's a tools problem. It's a, it's a headcount problem, and uh, it's going to take them some time to figure out the best methods of prevention. So... Okay. Now, actually, I just saw, you know, we, we have over uh, 70,000 people in our F or no, 60,000 in our FBA high rollers, Facebook group. And, and somebody from there just the other day, mm -hmm. uh, Garfield had posted something that he had heard scuttlebutt that now brand registry is going to trump Amazon retail. So that means if, if that's true, I hope so. that might mean that, yeah, that, that vendor central, just because you have a vendor central account doesn't give you God mode anymore <laughs> to, to change anybody's listing. Yeah. So that, that would be a pretty big thing if that, if, that's, if that actually happens, right? Yeah, so there's a couple different pieces to the story. One was Amazon had to go through everyone's access to the tools and try to figure out, well, who's making all these uh, you know, changes to listings that are wreaking havoc for these individual brands? I mean, the brands, in theory, should have control over their own listings. If they're the private label brand owner, they shouldn't have somebody come in who has a vendor central account and change images, change brand names, change titles if they're not the brand. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So that was just an abuse loophole that hadn't been closed. They, they partially closed it by changing around whose permissions uh, inside Amazon, whose permissions to access what tools um, were available. And then beyond that, um, they're pushing a lot of people out of vendor anyway, who aren't going to be, if they're not retail managed, and if they're not at least 5 million for some category, categories and at least 10 million for other categories, they're not even going to have a vendor account. They're going to be seller central accounts. Um, so vendors changing. And also we've picked out a couple instances where we had to uh, try to report vendor abuse and we've gotten better at it, which is the good news. Um, the bad news is that obviously it's, it's difficult to report what internal Amazonians are doing to abuse listings. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's not quite true. the same as, you know, um, working there, of course, uh, you have to reach out to people and say, Hey, look, there are teams that are within your uh, umbrella of teams that have people who are doing things they shouldn't be doing. Where do you want us to report that? Uh, obviously Amazon's kind of scared to have that discussed widely publicly. So they want to kind of close those loopholes as, as quickly as they can. Quickly pivoting now, brand gating. Has, have you heard of anybody being able to get brand gating on their own? I, I, with the company I used to work for, we tried for a year and we had a legitimate, legitimate complaint right. because what happens was people were, were doing arbitrage on some of them, but actually not even arbitrage. They were like getting like closeout lots or right, something. Right. And, and with a supplement, you know, that could be something that's been sitting in somebody's car for two years, you know, and who knows what condition it's, it posed a legitimate safety risk, but they could never get brand gated. And another brand I work for never asked for brand gating once, never had counterfeiting issues at all. Very tiny brand. Mm -hmm. And then boom, one day they had brand gating on their account. So is there any rhyme or reason these days? Uh, there is. Somebody who's a brand new account who's suddenly gated, who gets that out of nowhere with no history of problems with counterfeit or safety issues. Um, you know, that's somebody who's got a friend inside who's helping them out. There's no other explanation for it. Um, 
anecdotal gating was uh, in, at least a year ago or so, or maybe even more at this point, uh, was something you could try to accomplish if you had a pattern of counterfeits and you were playing the whack-a-mole game and just knocking them off one at a time. You were able to make a case uh, to the proper Amazon teams that it was disruptive to your business to have to constantly report counterfeit. You had tons of examples of it. You had a timeline that you could establish over months or years even of having to report cases over and over how many test buys you had to do the, the financial duress you experienced maybe from all the test buys over the last year or two that you had to do it. Um, and you could make a legal argument based on, you know, this is really uh, disrupting us to the point where, uh, gating tools are all Amazon can give us to protect our brand uh, selling on, on Amazon. And obviously you had to have the right uh, legal representation and it had to be competent and it had to be reliable in order to make that argument. But as long as you had that kind of data behind you, you had probably long-term experience with dealing with uh, the whack-a-mole problem. You were able to make an argument for gating. The issue more recently, that was like 12 to 18 months ago. I mean, the issue more recently was gating was being abused like crazy, which is situations like what you mentioned. Uh, some brand new seller had a friend inside the company who got them gated. That's not supposed to happen. So if Amazon, you know, is reacting strangely around the gating question now, it's because you know that they're aware that gating was being abused and people are tapping each other on the shoulder in ways they shouldn't have been. Um, and, and they had to close it off. And end it. So, okay. Yeah. Let's do some rapid fire now. Try and uh, <laughs> we're almost out of time, and and there's still so much I want to, sure. I want to uh, I want to cover. So real quick, the last two days I've been getting all these PMs on Facebook from people something about getting suspended because of something to do with pesticide or something like that. Do you do you know anything about that? I'm working on those now. Yeah, that started about seven or eight days ago. Um, I can give a, a brief explanation. It's kind of become a more complex topic over the last forty eight hours, but. Um, it was, the, it, yeah, give, give us the cliff notes. Right. So it was an automated action. Uh, they, they run these a lot where there's a script that runs and they're either flagging. They, one of two things happens. They either flag a bunch of listings and dump them into queues and investigators go through them one at a time, or they just delete everything, you know, at once. And then it's a, it, it's a manual correction to an automated action. That's what's happening right now. Investigators are going through it manually, seeing if people were pushed out of a category that they belong in or were they told that they were in a category that they shouldn't be in um, and were listings deleted that shouldn't have been deleted. So all the tickets to seller support, most sellers are just getting the message that they have to wait. It's been sent to the right team and you're just supposed to wait. And of course, we don't advocate waiting. Um, you're, you're going to have to escalate it for sure. Um, and the calls I had this morning, based on that information, I'd say escalate it in more than one place, two or three places. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next yeah. thing, QR codes, product inserts. What is definitely not allowable and what is allowable? Um, I mean, product inserts, what, what seems to fly and, and stay, you know, away from kind of evasion of policies. If you have a customer service number, you know, it's on your packaging already or your, your URL is already on the packaging. Um, and you have stuff like that on an insert that doesn't, I mean, technically you could be flagged for trying to divert sales to your website, but that doesn't seem to attract too much negative attention. The problem lately is you send people warranty information that they need. And then you say, by the way, can you leave us a review? Um, I've seen some warnings around that, not suspensions necessarily yet, but I mean, who knows what's coming next? Um, 
you don't want to send a card that says, do you have any problems that require customer service? We'll fix it. Here's, here's our phone number. Here's the link to our website and so forth. And then have the flip side of the card or somewhere else on that card. It says, Oh, no problems. Well, leave us a review then, you know, can you leave us a review and help us out? Um, that's considered inducing positive only review behavior and people are getting suspended for that. So with inserts, it's tricky. It's not all the right. same as changing your messaging, right? With inserts, it's like you can't necessarily pull out, of, pull all your items out of FBA and open those boxes and remove the cards that are already in there. So, yeah. Now, so, you know, talking about the reviews, I know one thing that for sure is not allowed anymore is the, like you said, people who said, "Hey, if if you had a great experience, here's the link to the reviews." But if if you didn't have a great experience, right. click here, and it was going to feedback or something. Right. But somebody PM me the other day. They're like, "Hey." I can make a link that, that can take them to the review page, but it automatically pre-fills five-star review. Now that, <laughs> I don't know, is that, that in my opinion is like, uh, yeah, that's kind of a bad idea. Actually, uh, the product inserts that I've seen that have five stars at the bottom, those could technically be considered a violation too, even though you're not necessarily asking them for a five star. If there's a visual of five stars at the bottom. Yeah. So even more so yeah. than if you're actually, I, I didn't know such a link existed, no. but if you're actually making a link, that would be like super asking for suspension. It, it, it will. It will. I mean, there's a lot of, some people are saying, well, we, we, we put on there that we only want an honest review. And then somewhere else we ask them if they're happy to leave a review. Yeah. That's not going to fly. That's not honest anymore. <laughs> um, and a lot of people still believe you know, they're okay. They can say a lot of the language that's non-compliant as long as they don't say, leave us a nice review or leave us a five-star review or leave us a positive review. Um, no one really asks for a positive review anymore. That would be crazy. Everyone's kind of yeah. nibbling around the edges, trying to ask for it in a different way. And that's what they're getting suspended for lately. Yeah. Okay. Next thing, wholesale retail arbitrage. What are the recent trends? You know, like years ago, a lot of people, you know, would be scared that, Hey, this is going to be completely a model that doesn't work at all. But at the prosper show, you know, I, I met, $70 million a year seller who just does like wholesale and, and right. arbitrage. So I know it, it does still exist, but what are the trends? I mean, is it becoming more and more difficult due to the counterfeit claims yeah, and, and things like that? Or? For sure. I okay. mean, I don't deal with um, arbitrage type sourcing clients very much anymore, I guess, because there's fewer of them. Um, why, why are there fewer of them? Well, for a pretty good reason. A lot of people have jumped ship on that business model and found that buying from wholesalers or authorized distributors of brands is a lot safer given the current climate around infringement-based suspensions, counterfeit claims, um, the kinds of authenticity complaints buyers make. Um, you know, we're at the point you can't just show like a receipt anymore. Amazon wants to, you know, Amazon investigators make phone calls. They try to call your wholesaler and say, I want to confirm the quantity of items uh, on this invoice. I want to confirm your relationship with this seller. Um, they can't do that if you're just giving them a store locator as a link to a website. And if you're just giving them an 800 number to call, you know, a, a target store or a Best Buy, I mean, it doesn't work that way anymore. The types of information they're asking for, you simply can't provide if you're doing arbitrage. And uh, I know there's a lot of, you know, large accounts out there that are still doing it that way. Um, and they do manage to get some inauthentic item complaints reversed by showing a receipt, but that's not the norm anymore. Um, those are exceptions. Those aren't, those aren't the rule anymore. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next thing. Let's see. Okay. Let me just take yeah. a minute to give you my personal, my personal interpretation of the terms of service. I know a lot of people have different viewpoints on this, but about giveaways and, and discount promotions, obviously 
Um, there are some things that are just completely, you know, against right. the rules. But in my opinion, the traditional uh, kind of launch promotion, you know, giving a two-step URL technically is not against the terms of service because when you look at the, the the search experience that it talks about, it talks about using bots. It talks about manipulating the BSR, which, you know, l- launches are not meant right. to manipulate BSR. It talks about putting ASINs or brand names in your, in your hidden search terms, you know, like your, your, your subject matter to try and give irrelevant information and make you come up for, for brands that you're not. I mean, it talks about all these things. Right. Keyword abuse. Exactly. They easily, easily could say, Hey, two-step URLs are against the rules. They can hide <laughs> the two-step URLs. I mean, to yeah. me, it's not, I mean, it, it could be interpreted, but I have never seen somebody hundred percent get suspended for, you know, using a giveaway service to date in my experience. What about in your experience? Um, yeah. So in terms of the giveaways, what became a problem was, um, you know, people were getting a spike in positive reviews as you kind of would expect they would within a tight time frame, And then there might be evidence of the giveaway or somebody competing with you or some other party would report the giveaway to Amazon and Amazon would see what the giveaway was. And then they would put that information up against how many four and a half to five star reviews did you get within the period that you were doing it or the period around when you were doing it. And if they thought the time frame lined up with the, um, the promotion and the giveaways and the discounts were, you know, 90% off and think, you know, they, they considered that a violation and then suspend people for it. Um, so yeah. Yeah. There's a case just, you know, one of these posts that went yeah. viral in one of our message boards where somebody said, oh yeah, I did a giveaway and that's why I got suspended. And I was like, okay, well let, let, let's take a look at the, uh, you know, what, what you got. And they just got this, the standard, the standard copy and paste right. reply, you know, where it really doesn't say why, but then as we dug into it, we found out that, you know, he had you know done a Facebook promotion, gave 80% right. off, but then every single one of those people he emailed asking for a review. Well, so like, in my opinion, that's, that's, that's there that's it is right there. I mean, yeah. that goes back to your early question of asking for trouble. You don't want to ask for trouble anymore with things like this. And a lot of sellers, I'm not sure why they, they start the conversation with me saying, well, everyone's doing it or, well, I know tons of people who haven't been caught for this. I mean, measure yourself against you and your account history and your own situation. Never compare, and this is good advice for writing a plan of action too, never compare yourself against other sellers or other trends in the marketplace because they don't care. They're, they're looking at you against your own history. They don't care if somebody out there is doing exactly what you're doing and that's a violation too and they're getting away with it and you're not getting away with it. Their answer to you yeah. would be, well, you should tell us who that seller is and report them to us and we'll go after them next. They're not going to go easier on you because of that information. They know that enforcement's very inconsistent and they know that it's hit or miss. Um, they might not admit it, but they know it to be true. So just yeah. be careful. I mean, these are easy to yeah. avoid and it's not necessarily the service, by the way, you know, people contact me all the time and say, should I not be using this messaging service? Should I not be using this discount service? It's how you use the service. It's not the service itself. Mm. It's not mm. that, I mean, in some cases, sure. Amazon's going to start suing black hat companies left and right. You're going to hear about that this year or next year, but and, and for legitimate services that are not black hat, it's how you're using them. It's not the service themselves that's the problem. Yeah. Okay. So what about though, I mean, the one part that's a little bit more of a gray area and I've done some testing and I still have never heard of anybody getting suspended for this, but to me, even more so than just the, the traditional discount services, 
is like the ones where you give rebates after the fact. Because to me, this is more of a gray yeah. area since it could fall under the compensation yeah. to buyer clause in the TOS, yeah. right? The rebates after the fact are, uh, they're, they're considered a gray area, but it's, it's, it's a risky gray area for sure. Because if you're, here's another thing that a lot of people didn't realize, you can't fix somebody's problem and then say, can you change your review? That used to not really be a problem to do. And now they seem to be suspending people for it. So it does change over time. Um, but after the order, actions do matter. So be careful with, you know, yeah. hey, because that can be seen as kind of like a bait and switch. Like you're saying that you're not asking for anything. Then they leave you a nice review. But when they leave you the review, they're expecting something on the back end. Right. So that's the yeah, issue. Exactly. Are you inducing behavior? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But basically for, for now, you know, your interpretation, of course, you know, anything can be interpreted right. in any way. But as far as speaking about the traditional discount, you know, giveaway method, there's nothing explicit against it in the TOS. But at the same time, just like one day incentivized reviews was okay. And then the next day right. it wasn't, you know, they, 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 they changed the TOS Probably it could happen at any time, but, but are we on the same page here? Like there's nothing really explicit against right. it now, but obviously it could change from one day to the next, right? The policies are intent. And this goes for the legal language you get around infringements and multiple other policies. They're written in a vague way on purpose. Amazon reserves the right to interpret those policies as they see fit. And that interpretation can change over time. They're not going, they don't want you quoting language or lingo that they've used back to you. Uh, back to them, I'm sorry, um, and challenging them on the nature of the language. They keep it vague for a reason. They don't want you quoting them, them back to them, and they don't want um, they don't want every seller to come into every situation making their own interpretation of well, it doesn't explicitly say I can't do this, so that must mean it's it's okay no matter how I do it. Um, and okay. you can do discounts, you can do promotions. I mean, no one's saying you can't do those things. But just understand that it's going to be it's risky to do them if it if it's going to be a situation where you get a huge pile of positive reviews overnight, they're going to flag that and look at that. If they think there's a promotion behind it and those are heavily discounted products, then they they certainly could consider that abuse of the review system and suspend you for it. Even if you're combing through the policy pages and you don't see that explicitly banned. I know that sounds kind of legalese yeah. crazy, but I mean no, that's just yeah. the reality. No, yeah. it's a to me, it's, it's like there, there's a rhyme and, you know, it's, I know it seems like it's not, but there's a rhyme and reason to, to Amazon's action right. or inaction. Like the things that they start getting bad press for, you know, then that hits their bottom line. You know, when wall street journal comes out with something and says, Hey, look at all these reviews that are fake. Now, all of a sudden Amazon's like cracking down their views. Hey, there's the, all these infringement issues. Yeah. Now Amazon starts putting out programs. Now, nobody has complained about, you know, the discount services because it's not really causing harm right. to anybody. You know, the Amazon algorithm is so advanced. It doesn't matter how you get to page one nowadays, mm -hmm. whether it's a discount, even black hat, if you get to page one or, you know, yeah. PPC, whatever. The bottom line is if you don't, from that day that you're on page one, if you don't start converting organically, you're exactly. going to fall right off because the algorithm is, is so uh, advanced. So it's like, nobody's being hurt for it. So in my opinion, yes, it could become against TOS, you know, one of these days, but right now I don't see a big push to make that happen because Amazon's not getting right. bad press about it. It's not hurting their customers, which is the most important thing to Amazon. And, and, and there's, they're, they're getting tons of 15% commissions right. I mean, on, uh, on, on orders. Yeah, that, I understand that know. a lot of sellers, it's hard when you're competing against people, you see them, 
I don't know if I'd say getting away with something. You see them getting a lot of reviews or accomplishing a lot, you know, a lot revenue wise. And you want to start doing what they're doing just to keep up with them. I understand that motivation. Um, and, and I definitely understand that the, the rules aren't 100 percent clear and they're interpreted in ways that you may never anticipate by Amazon policy investigators that in ways that sellers would never interpret them. But it's a risk management the question. And you have to think of the equation of how much risk can I tolerate when I know that these teams, especially PRA, the product review abuse guys, I mean, as we sit here now, we know that they are um, under under fire. They've had a lot of negative attention on the way those teams operate. Um, I think most people who buy or sell or do anything around Amazon understand that there's, there's a percentage way above 1% of reviews on the site that are fake. I mean, Amazon says they estimate 1%. I think we all have a higher number. And that hurts sales and that hurts yeah. the integrity of the site. And that hurts the reputation of the marketplace. And those are the types of things that get under Jeff's skin. And those are the types of things that lead to negative news stories and, and bad media reports about rampant abuse that Amazon policy teams can't keep up with and can't stop. So PRA is under the gun right now. And what does Amazon historically do when they're under the gun and they've got policy investigators thrown in to solve the problem. They act very aggressively and they start carpet bombing things. And when they're carpet bombing things, they delete lots of reviews. And when they delete lots of reviews, they delete a lot of legitimate reviews that were not fake. And, you know, we all saw that from the examples last year and so on. So, you know, it's the same thing with the infringement claims and with legal issues. Amazon's sick to death of being caught, you know, in the middle between resellers and brands that don't want Mm -hmm. those listings on Mm -hmm. the site. Um, and they don't want to mediate any legal disputes. Well, how do they handle that? Well, they tend to suspend a lot of resellers who are accruing too many infringement claims within a certain time period. That's algorithmic. And there are human beings investigating those cases, but those investigators are told to aggressively enforce those, uh, those SOPs. And it's just that's the way the marketplace is going to be regulated and policed for a long time to come. There are things you can do to prepare and to prevent that from, you know, taking your business down, but you definitely have to get used to the need to prepare for these kinds of, uh, you know, account defense or account protection uh, systems. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, all right, Chris, you know, we've actually gone 15 minutes That's longer okay. than I, like talking I to you. really <laughs> ever do, but there's just so much, there's just so much good stuff that, that you have here. And I, I have more questions, but I'm sure some of our, Listeners might yeah. have more questions or, or might even mm-hmm. uh, want some help with, with something that they're dealing with. So how can they how can they find you on the interwebs? Yeah, so the contact form on my site, really easy to find, ecommercechris.com. Um, if it's something that you think would be, you know, a really long story, you want to email it to me instead. It's chris, C-H-R-I-S, at ecommercechris.com. And I obviously try to get back to people as quickly as possible. So just let me know if it's, especially if it's account suspension related, I answer those very quickly. And if you've lost your top selling ASIN, we're going to do everything we can to get it back up for you. So, Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Chris, again. And we'll definitely have you on, on the show in the future because I'm sure, you know, the, the, this, this space, things are constantly changing on a daily basis. So six mm-hmm. months from now, a year from now, we're going to have a whole nother 45 minutes of topics right. that we could probably Happy talk to about. do it again. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Talk to you later.